0: Amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a shout of praise this morning. Come on, he is able, he is worthy, and you are healed. Amen? Amen. All right, give your neighbor a high five. And if you used your shoulder that you just prayed for, then that's a good sign. (laughs) Beautiful. Thank you, Steve. Well, good morning, Purpose Church. It is good to see you. Uh, for those of you who, who didn't know, I, I snuck away this, this last week for a few days to, to pray and to spend some time with the Lord. And, uh, and it was quite uh, refreshing and encouraging uh, to be candid. It was not where I expected. It wasn't how I expected it to. But how many of us know that God can still work and can still speak in the most unexpected places and circumstances? I, uh, I, was awake, I was awakened at midnight straight on because there was a particular establishment that liked to keep people going till wee hours in the morning. And then um, a fire alarm went off, and then the streets were filled with fire trucks till about 1.30 in the morning. And, um, you know, your patients can be tested. And I've learned to just say, Lord, well, here I am. I'm listening. What would you like me to hear besides those sirens? Because, boy, are those frustrating. Uh, but nonetheless, it was an incredible time away, and, um, and I thought, uh, in the spirit of that, that the Lord had really impressed upon me, before we step into a new season together as a church, to, to share with you, and maybe, uh, if I dare, to reorient us around the vision in which He's given us as a church. I want to be uh, very clear and I want to be very intentional that that our vision is not my vision for the church. It's his vision for his church that he's just trusted us to steward and care and to ensure that we are all in alignment with the vision of our church. And I thought in order for us to take this next step into this new season... That, that, that it would be imperative and important for us to all be unified, to all be aligned, and to ensure that it is very clear. So if anyone were able to ask you, or if anybody said to you, hey, what's the vision at Purpose Church? You would be able to clearly and articulately say this, to know Jesus and to discover his purpose. What's the vision of Purpose Church? To know Jesus and to discover his purpose for our lives. That's the vision. We can get into the mission, and we can get into the purpose another time at another date, but I thought it very important that we were crystal clear on the vision of Purpose Church. It is to know Jesus and to discover his purpose. That's it. Very simple. Somebody asked you tomorrow, what's the vision of Purpose Church? Jesus, purpose. (laughs) If you needed to simplify it any further than that. To know Jesus, to discover purpose. And while I was away, I I kept reflecting and thinking about a passage of Scripture that that I had read during our Bible in one year, which I have done now for the last, I don't think, five years maybe I'm on. And and, and interesting enough, it's a passage of Scripture that we all know, but yet it just spoke to me in a different way. It, It actually helped me to see the framework of our vision kind of very clearly, but also very beautifully in a way I've never seen it before. And and I want to read to you this text, and then I'm going to kind of break it down, and I hope that it will help us to, to kind of take this next step in this new season with a new sense of purpose. Uh, but also with a sense of clarity as it relates to you and I being followers of Jesus and to live a life that would glorify and honor him in everything we do. Amen? So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, you might know this or remember this from last week as we brought our Excel season to a conclusion. I I used the the book of Philippians in my my talk. And yet here we find ourselves in the book of Philippians chapter 3, a little farther along. In verse 7, I want to read to you this text. It says, but whatever were gains to me, Paul says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Let me, let me pause for just a second because I, I think it's important that, that, we, that we understand what's happening in this text. What, what's happening here in chapter 3 is Paul is speaking of a life that is challenged and pressured by the law. He's speaking specifically to a community of people in chapter three, specifically those who live confidently in the flesh, who are challenging and oppressing upon people to to live by the law. Or, or another way that, to look at it is those who lived based on their own merits. So he's speaking to a community of people that, that were constantly challenged and pressured by the law. And they were being challenged by a people who were confident more in their flesh than they were in their encounter with the spirit of the living God. And they were living based more on their own merits, their own successes, they're more attaboys than they were actually on honoring and glorifying the Father. Okay, So I think it's important to know that and, and, and to specify what he's referring to when he's talking about his gains. And it's important that you understand that Paul was obviously very aware and was quite experienced in living this way. This was not new for Paul. Paul was actually considered to be a captain If you wanted one, you know, you go like to the to 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 PE, and everyone's playing, you know, five on five pickup, and you just naturally look at the two athletic guys on the court, and you say, Captain one, Captain two, and you pick those guys to pick the teams. Paul would have been considered a captain that would have picked out the group of Pharisees that would have that would have actually lived out and lived under this kind of lifestyle. Previous to his encounter with Jesus. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. Okay, so, so is that helpful to set that up for you for just a second? So let me go back to the text. Verse 7. So now you know what he's referring to. But whatever were gains to me now, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Like the kind of garbage that you take out to the trash on Thursday night to get picked up by the truck. I consider them garbage that I might might gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own, my own flesh, my own success, my own merits that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10 I want to know Christ. going to pause there for a moment and let that sit this is the apostle Paul he says I want to know Christ yes and I want to know the power of his resurrection and I want to participate in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead verse 12 ready not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, this one thing I do, the one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Today, I've titled our our, our message on this recalibration of Vision Sunday, Press On. Press on. Church, it's time for us to press on. Let me pray for you. Lord, let your word be a lamp unto our feet. Let it be a light unto our path. Let it speak to us, let it awaken us, let it guide us. Most importantly, Father, let it nourish us, that it might help us to live according to your will and your purpose for our life today and every day going forward. In your wonderful, mighty, amazing, matchless name, we pray. Amen. Amen. And so it's, it's fair to say that for the last year or so, we've been on this journey of learning to be disciples, right? Actually, it was about a year ago, plus a couple weeks, that we started the Disciple Series, If you've been around that long, you know that that was a very, uh, very fun uh, and uh, took longer than expected kind of series. And, uh, and so we spent a little over seven months discovering what it meant to be a disciple in belief and practice. And then, and then we took a step into this realm of understanding the fruit of the Spirit, how to keep in step with the Spirit so that we could see the, the fruit of the Spirit begin to mature and grow in our life. And then these last few weeks, we've been on this journey of learning how to excel, recognizing where we've been excelling in our faith, where we've been excelling in our speech and our knowledge, and then also being challenged to consider and and to reflect respond to to this call that Paul puts upon us to to excel in this act of generous giving and, and as I said as I got away I, I just sensed that the Lord as we're getting ready to enter into a new season thought it'd be helpful for us to recalibrate on our vision as a church and so I'm going to offer you now uh, the the test because we had, you know, we had the study session just a few moments ago on the vision of our church, and that is to know Jesus and to discover his purpose. Congratulations, you all get 100%, and your SAT scores just went up a percentage. To know Jesus and to discover his purpose. And, and, I, and as I said, this text that we just read, I couldn't help but see our vision laid out in Paul's letter to the Church of Philippi. And in our text, what we see after we understand what Paul is speaking to specifically how he learned to overcome the flesh and walk in the fulfillment of the law. If you remember, Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. So Paul is now a living, breathing example by way of scripture of a man who's not only overcome the temptation of the flesh or is learning to overcome the temptation of the flesh, but he's also a living example of someone who is able to walk in the fulfillment of the law. Or in other words, somebody who is able to walk in full pursuit with one desire to faithfully walk with Jesus. And I think what he's doing is he's encouraging us through his own experience to press on, to press on. And so I want to share a few things to you that stood out to me in this text that I think are helpful for us as we, as we reorient ourselves around the vision in which he's given us for a church. The first thing that I wanted to point out, he says in verse seven, but whatever were gains to me, he says, whatever were gains to me, Interesting, he also puts but, which you know, you know Bible butts are kind of those, you know, those nice moments where we're able to just kind of pause and, and, and just kind of throw away everything else that was said previous to that moment, because what he's doing is he's calling out all of these Pharisees and all of these people who are living according to this law. He says, but for me, whatever were gains before, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Let me, let me repeat this, this text for us for just a second. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Somebody say all things. I consider them garbage. Paul is kind of savage if you ask me. That I may gain Christ and be found in him. To be found in Him. Let me just pause for a second because I think He can speak with a very, with a very bold and clear uh, tone as He refers to in Him. Because His letter to the church in Ephesus, in six chapters, He references our being in Christ or His desire for us to be in relationship with Him, to be in Jesus. Uh, some 20 times throughout the, the letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. So he's speaking from not only a place of experience, but it's a consistent message that he wants us to capture and understand. That, I, that, that for the sake of Christ, I have gained Christ and I'm now found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Because he fulfilled the law, you see the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Let me read to you what the Amplified Version says in this particular text. But whatever former things were gains to me, as I thought then, in other words, as I thought before I invited Jesus into my life, as I thought before he healed my marriage, as I thought before he restored my faith, as I thought before, as I thought then, these things Once regarded as advancements in merit, I have come to consider as loss absolutely worthless for the sake of Christ. And watch this. In the purpose which he has given my life. What Paul is referring to here, the former things, is what we would identify as worldly gains. Power, prestige, the approval or applaud of man, and in his case, particularly, the obedience to be recognized as one who lived and expected us to follow the law. Some might also say in this context that, that the worldly things, the former things, might be like money-powered respect because somebody told us that's all we needed in life. You see, those gains he, he now considers as loss, absolutely worthless, so anyone who got the money, power, and respect tattoo, you know, is, is in trouble. I know somebody personally who has that tattoo. He now regrets that decision, but apparently it was a reminder to him somewhere in his life that that's all you needed in life. He, he considered those worthless. He considered them a loss. They have no meaning or, or value anymore because and for the sake of Christ. For the purpose which he has given Paul, which he has given me. In other words, in him, he, he now has a purpose. In him, he now has a sense of worth. In him, he now recognizes that, that he belongs with a greater deal of, of purpose than he ever imagined, thought, or hope. And it's, it's more than anything he could ever have imagined or thought or thunk. And I think it's so fascinating because Paul here is a guy that, that reflects what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 24. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Some people will use that and say, well, see, that's Jesus trying to just roll your life. Who runs this world? Thank you. But this isn't what he's after. He's not after ruling or running anything. He's after leading and providing you with a sense of purpose that goes beyond your wildest imaginations, dreams. And he just wants to know, am I first in your life? Have you found yourself in me? Would you be willing to lay down all of the things prior to this moment just to take up a relationship with me? Verse 25, he says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Huh. Verse 26, watch this. But what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world? I think Paul would tell you that he was a man who gained the whole world according to the worldly standards. Yet in, in the process, he foresought or you forfeit your soul. Paul, again, a man who stood there and gave the, 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 the sign, to stone him. That wasn't a pitching sign to strike him out. Paul was the one that gave the order, who, who, gave, who gained the whole world, yet forfeited his soul to stone Stephen, the first known martyr in biblical history. I think it's very fair for us to then look at this text, what Jesus is, dis, is, dis, is speaking to, and then look at the life of Paul and come to this conclusion that, that he was, in fact, somebody who recognized that the worldly gains were not suffice anymore, that something more was offered to him instead. So let me ask you this question. What gains do you still hold on to that in this moment Christ is calling you to let go of? What gains, what worldly gains, what prestigious gains, what, what, what worldly things have you accumulated? What, what, what kind of accolades or attaboys or attagirls have, have you lived your life on that, that still find themselves to be unfulfilling when you need them the most? when you're at your wits end and you don't know where to turn or what to do and there's just not enough boys to help you overcome the way you feel in the present moment and yet you're still sitting there going oh, but at least I got power and respect I got money t- removed but I still got power and respect and maybe you're realizing that those aren't all that you need in life What well, what are the gains I'm just going to pause here for a moment because this was a question that I felt like the Lord asked me. And what gains are you still holding on to in this moment, in this season that I am calling you as my son to let go of and to lay down and to consider them a loss for his sake? Maybe another way of asking you a question is what gains are keeping you from walking in the purpose he has for you? You think it's fair to say that Paul learned and knew personally and intimately that gaining power, prestige, and approval of man actually gained him nothing. But rather, in one moment, one encounter with Jesus on a road where he's in hot pursuit for more Christians, his life was radically transformed and changed forever. And no longer was he in hot pursuit for more Christians. He was in hot pursuit for Jesus. One moment. He was a living example of one who gave up his worldly life because he found the very meaning and purpose of life in Jesus. One of the things that comes up in Alpha often is, I don't have a radical transformation story like Paul or like you, Pastor Aaron, or like some of the stories we hear in Alpha. And can I just encourage you that that's okay? Because the way in which Jesus reveals himself to you is specific to you and is based on the very gifts and the purpose he has for your life. So don't underestimate or downplay the way in which Jesus reveals himself to you or makes himself known to you that there is a purpose for that as well as much as there is for Paul's story or my story or Steve's story or Jason's story or anyone else's story. It matters to the kingdom of God. God created you for a purpose. He created you and designed you to walk this earth in the way that you have. And he wants you to know that no matter what you walk, through. And no matter what he sets you free from or how he reveals himself to you, you matter. Your good news matters because Jesus set you free from whatever it was or revealed you for whatever it is that he's created you and purposed you for. That was a sidebar. And I think, as I think about what I just, what I just unpacked for us, what gains are keeping us from walking in Jesus and Paul coming to the conclusion that the worldly gains were really nothing, but rather Jesus became the only gain that he needed. It it, it caused me just to stop and think about what he said next in the most radical of ways. Here's a man who's given his life to following Jesus to proclaiming Jesus and to leading many to Jesus, who's been beaten, who's been imprisoned, who's been wrongfully accused, who's literally traveled the world over, who almost drowned by land, boat, and sea somehow. I don't know how, but he did. And he almost lost his life to a snake. And yet here is a man who is still proclaiming that he desires one thing above everything else. It's not money, it's not power, it's not respect. It's not for more opportunity to go to more places and to preach more about Jesus. He desires clearly in this letter one thing. He says, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus. Above all else, I want to know Jesus. I want to know Jesus, he says, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the measure or to attaining to the resurrection from the dead. The Amplified says it this way, and this so that I may know him. I, I always come back to this line uh, from Elf, getting us in the holiday spirit, Christmas spirit Santa, I know him. I think it's the Father's desire for each and every one of us to experience or to see Jesus in somebody else or working through somebody else or performing miraculous work in somebody else and us go, Jesus, I know him. I've experienced him too. He's amazing. Look what he's doing for you, man. Let me tell you what he's doing for me. My goodness, if more people would get excited like we get excited about Christmas and say, Santa Claus, I know him. And we see Jesus working in our our friend's life, and our neighbor's life, and our spouse's life, and we go, Jesus, I know him, I know him. We ran out of coffee at home, so I had one right before (laughs) I started. This is what he says, experientially, becoming more thoroughly acquainted with him, Understanding the remarkable wonders of his person more completely. And in the same way, experience. In the same way, experience the power of his resurrection, which overflows and is active to believers. I don't even know what time it is. Holy smokes. Holy heaven. I got to go. To know Jesus. Listen to this. To know Jesus. David Guzik says he's a... Kind of a theologian kind of guy that I follow does some commentary that I really enjoy. He says this about knowing Jesus. I'm out of breath. To know Jesus is not the same as knowing his historical life. It It is not the same as knowing correct doctrines regarding Jesus. It is not the same as knowing his moral example, and it is not the same as knowing his great work on our behalf but rather to know Jesus is to recognize him because we can distinguish what is different about him compared to other people. To know Jesus is to be acquainted with what he does, like knowing a baker because we go get our bread from him. How do you know a baker? Because you go get your bread from him. How do you know Jesus? Because you go find life in him. To know Jesus is to converse with him. We are on speaking terms regularly, constantly. He is in my favorites all the time. Some of us need to take our phone out and just create a contact for Jesus and put it number one in your little bubble icons at the top and use it as a reminder that you can converse with him like you do with whoever else is in that number one spot. And I actually think whoever's in that number one spot, that relationship would be better if you would put Jesus in that spot and them in the second spot and you, let me just stop. To know Jesus is to spend time in his house and with his family. How do you really get to know somebody? Why do you think we host Alpha at our home? Because we want you to get to know us and we want to get to know you in a place that's safe and it's inviting and we hope it's warm and welcoming and clean. We, we know Jesus because we spend time in his house and with his family. We, I hope that you get, you get a taste and you get to see Jesus in our home when you spend time with us here at church on Sundays or, or on Mondays in discipleship group or Wednesdays at Alpha, wherever it is. To know Jesus is to commit our life to him and live with, with him every day, sharing every circumstance with him, like in a marriage. I share everything with her. The good, the bad, and the ugly. For 20 years, we've been doing it. It's not always been easy. I heard the greatest piece of advice from her parents recently. They said this, and I think this is true about our relationship with Jesus. Don't quit on the same day. You're going to fight with your spouse? Good. It's going to happen. Just don't both of you quit on the same day. One of you can quit. The other one can. Because tomorrow, the other one, you can switch roles. Tag. I'm out. You're in just don't quit on the same. I think Jesus is a lot of the same. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep spending time with him. Keep conversing with him. Commit your life to him and live with him every day, sharing every circumstance, the good, the bad, and the other. Go read the Psalms. David was real. I think David created cursing. <laughs> I think he cursed God more than any human on the planet. You see, yet beyond all this, there's a way of knowing Jesus that, concludes all, all, that includes all of these, yet goes beyond them. And, and this is what Charles Spurgeon says about knowing Jesus. He says, beyond all these, he says, they, they tell me he is a refiner, that he cleanses from spots. He has washed me in his precious blood, and to that extent, I know him. They, they tell me that he clothes the naked. He, he hath covered me with a garment of righteousness, and to that extent, I know him. They tell me that he is a a breaker and that he breaks the fetters. He has set my soul at liberty and therefore I know him. They tell me that he is a king and that he reigns over sin and he has subdued my enemies beneath his feet and I know him in that character. They tell me he's a shepherd and I know him for I am a sheep. They say he's a door. And I have entered through him, and I know him as that door. They say he is food. My spirit feeds on him as on the bread of heaven, and therefore I know him as such. You see, to know, to know him isn't based on what others have said about him. But the, the to know him, Paul is alluding to, has to have had an, a personal encounter with him. Jesus calls his disciples together and he says, who do they say that I am? You you can live off somebody else's revelation of who Jesus is for so long, but at some point the question has to be offered to you, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because at some point, your borrowed revelation of who Jesus is, your theology of who Jesus is, all of the teaching that you've ever experienced, all of the laws you've ever followed will never result in you having a personal encounter with Jesus until you do. To know him is to have a personal encounter with him. But yet Paul says knowing Jesus isn't enough It doesn't stop there. Rather, to know him also means that we know his power, the power that gives us new life, the power that activates the gifts on the inside of us, the power that heals and restores and puts things back together again, the power that gives us the strength to pray and carry on when we don't have the strength to pray and to carry on. It's the very power that overflows in us and helps us to continue, as Paul says, press on. In in quick fashion, David Guzik continues saying that the resurrection power that Paul is referring to is known as four things. It's an evidencing power. It's the evidence and seal that everything Jesus did and said was true. His power is a justifying power. It is the receipt. He's got his receipts, boys. And proof that the sacrifice of the cross was accepted as payment in full. His resurrecting power is, is life giving power. It means that those who are connected with Jesus Christ receive the same resurrection life that Jesus experienced. And it's a, con- a consoling and comforting power. It promises that our friends and loved ones who are dead in Christ will live with Him in heaven. You see, to know Jesus is to have had an encounter with Him, to know Him personally, not based on someone else's experience. Not based on somebody else's revelation, not based on somebody else's testimony. That's good. And if that's what got you here, fantastic. Our desire is that you actually personally get a chance to know him for yourself. You can live on Elion's borrowed revelation of who Jesus is all you want, but at some point, her revelation for you is going to run out. It will never run out for her, but it will for you. Because at some point, you have to go from hers to your own. you got to get your own. And to know him isn't just to know and have an experience in him, but it's also to receive and to experience his resurrection, resurrecting power, this life-giving power, this life-transforming power, the power that comforts, that heals, that advocates, that strengthens and helps us to live out this life, to live out this life we are called to live. This kind of knowing, this kind of power helps us to not settle, listen to this, or grow stagnant or to get complacent, or to be too comfortable. It will not arrive us at a goal or a destination here on earth. Rather, it will help us to stay the eternal course and do what Paul encourages us in his letter to do next. And he says, I press on. I press on. The third thing that we see in this text is he says, I press on. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Forgetting all of the gains, all of the worldly accolades, all of the of boys and of girls, all of the money pound respect you thought you needed in life. Forgetting it and leaving behind and straining towards what is ahead. He says, I press on once again towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Purpose Church, it is time for us to press on. Can I just be really honest with you? One of my great struggles that the Lord revealed is that I have gotten a little complacent. I have gotten a little settled that I enjoy what we have right here. I I love what God is doing here. And I know that this next step for us is going to open the door for us to continue to reach more people and continue to share the good news of the gospel, not because we're desiring to be famous or to be the biggest church on the block. I don't want to be that. I'd rather have five of those smaller ones like this than anything else. But what I also know is that it's easy for me to get comfortable and complacent in moments like this and go to the Lord and say, can't we just stay here? Haven't we done enough? This is easy for us. Lord, like Katie and I, we can handle this. Like we can, we got capacity for this. Can, Can this not be enough? And yet the Lord is saying to us, it's time to press on. The word press, listen to this, in, in the Greek is diako, which means to put to flight. Earnestly pursue or to make publicly known. The Webster's Dictionary defines it this way, to continue moving forward in a forceful or steady way. In other words, what he's calling us to do is he's saying, I, I desire for you to earnestly pursue completeness, perfection, maturity in Christ. That's what that word translates to. But yet, like Paul, we we have to understand that none of us have arrived yet at the goal. That we're not striving or straining towards arriving at a earthly or worldly goal. We have not arrived at completeness. We haven't arrived at perfection. And if anybody can state that he might got close, Paul would be the guy. But yet, even he still says, I am not complete, but I'm striving towards that which Christ has grabbed a hold of me. What is that completeness? Interesting, the word choice, he says he, he grabbed a hold of me first, to which now I want to grab a hold of him. His complete and perfect grace and peace grabbed a hold of me, therefore I now want to grab a hold of it so that I can experience the fullness of God. Paul says, because Christ has taken hold of him, I will press on to take hold of Christ. You see, Paul knows the goal. He knows his purpose. Here it is, you ready? It's Jesus. Jesus Watch what the, uh, Eugene Patterson says about this text. He says, "I'm not saying that I have all this together, that I have made it, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me." Friends, don't get me wrong, by no means do I count myself as an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal, where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. And as such, he says, I'm off, and I'm running, and I'm not turning back. In other words, he says, I will press on. I will press on. I will put to flight. I will earnestly pursue. I will make publicly known the good news of Christ. I haven't yet fully taken hold of it, but one thing I do, he says, I forget what is behind, the worldly gains, the prestige, the power, the approval of man, because those are not the things I need in life. And yet, I press on towards the goal. I strain forward to what's ahead. And Paul knows full well that what God is after is unity in the body of Christ. Is unity in your neighborhood, unity in your schools, unity in your workplace. Your workmate is not your enemy. They are an opportunity for you to extend a hand of grace to them as somebody has done to you. It is not get me out of here, Lord. It is what have you called me to do and why have you placed me in this moment? Is it easy? No. Will it get easier? Absolutely not. Which is why he says, I strain. I push through. I overcome. I endure so that we might put to flight so that we might make publicly known his good news. You see, I think it is easy to understand now for me that our vision is very clear to know Jesus and is to discover his purpose for our life. And can I just tell you, friends, that I think for you and I collectively, amongst the greatest gifts that he's given you, in the areas in which he's called you or blessed you to go and to be his hands and feet, as Paul identifies, that purpose is Jesus. To know Jesus and to discover more about Jesus is the purpose of our life. Because from there, all things flow. And all things go. If he's your purpose, you cannot get stagnant, you cannot get complacent, and you will not be disappointed because it will allow you and it will power you to go. Can I ask you to stand with me this morning? I'm convinced now more than any time ever in my life that anything short of Him being our purpose is holding on to the gains that Paul says he now counts as a loss. Anything short of Him being our focus, our purpose, our greatest desire is more of Him is to say we're holding on to something that we once deemed to be valuable in the worldly state. As I asked you before, what gains are you holding on to? I, I had to let go of a gain of comfortability, which was breeding into complacency. And I had to let it go. What gains are you holding on to that, that are keeping you from fixing your eyes on Jesus, as Paul says? Why don't you just close your eyes right now? What, what gains are, are, are keeping you that Paul says now should be a loss? They're keeping you from discovering Him, from knowing Him, like really, really knowing Him, from keeping your eye on the goal. What's causing you to fix your eyes on the things of this world rather than Him? Maybe a better way of saying it, what's keeping you from pressing on, to put to flight, to making Him publicly known? That's between you and the Lord. Maybe you'll write them down. Maybe you'll just offer Him right here in this moment of prayer. That's what we're going to do. What are you holding on to? Maybe it's your sin you're thinking, I'm not worthy of forgiveness. I'm not worthy of this life you're talking about, Pastor. Let me just stop you right there. Yes, you are. And your sin is a liar. It's a liar. And so right now, before I go anywhere else, if there's anybody who feels unworthy of the forgiveness that Jesus offers or extends that Paul's received, that I've received, and many in this room have received, and it's convinced you you're not worthy of forgiveness, you're not worthy of fulfilling the call or the purpose or having a life of meaning, then let me just encourage you right now. That is a lie. And today I want to ask you to do something very brave. I want to ask you to just lift your hands to heaven and say, that's me. I don't feel worthy of his forgiveness. I don't feel worthy of his call. I don't feel worthy of his grace. If that's you this this morning, every eye closed, just lift your hand to heaven and say, that's me. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel worthy. Awesome. Beautiful. It's not to embarrass anybody. We're not looking around. No one's looking around. We're not embarrassing you. This is between you and the Lord. I want you to know, son or daughter, the Lord says to you, you are worthy. You're worthy of his love. You're worthy of his forgiveness. You're worthy of his grace. And he has a great deal of purpose for your life. But it starts right here, right now, knowing Jesus. So here's what what we're going to do. We're just going to say a quick prayer. And this is the prayer. Repeat this after me, church. Jesus, I want to know you. And I want to ask you to forgive me of anything that has caused me to think that I am unworthy of knowing you like you desire to know me. Today, I grab a hold of you because you first grabbed a hold of me. Forgive me, receive me, and help me to live with you, in you, and for you from this day forward. In your name I pray. Amen. For the rest of us, what are we letting go of? Come on, close your eyes. If that's you, just pump hands like this, close fists. If you're letting go of something. And on the count of three, we're just going to turn it over and we'll let it go. Eyes closed, hands out, fists closed. And on the count of three, we're going to let go of it. We're going to let go of it. We're going to say it's time to press on in Jesus' name. You Ready? You ready? Come on, don't hold back. Don't hold on to it anymore. Come on, it's time. It's time for you to let it go. It's time for you to let go of that prestige, that, that title. It's time for you to let go of that expectation. It's time for you to let go of that power. It's time for you to let go of that idea that if you get enough attaboys, you'll finally be qualified. It's time for you to let go. It's time to let go. So here we go. Ready? One, two, three. We press on today in Jesus' name. Let it go. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Come on, just stay there for just a moment. Here's, this, here's the deal. Our community, our schools, our world needs to know him. And the, day, the way they will come to know him is if you and I would put his name to flight, if we would make it our primary objective to make him publicly known in every place and space that he's called us to go, And so whether it's your testimony, whether it's your salvation story, whether it's your restoration story, whether it's your healing story, it doesn't matter. I'm going to challenge you today, this week, that you would pray the Lord gives you an opportunity to share it with somebody, not to boast or to brag, but to honor him and glorify him for what he's done and that you have the courage when he opens the door for you to share it, you will step through it because our salvation, our testimony, it's not just for us. It's for everyone around you. And today is the day that we commit to living a life in full pursuit of Jesus, and to press on, and to make him known, and to make him famous to all the world around us. It's time to press on and put our good news to flight. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. Church, we love you. What a beautiful morning together. Come on, you can give the Lord a a clap, a round of applause, a shout of praise. He's worthy. Hey, come on. How good is God? Amen. Amen. It's a new day, church. One more Sunday here, and then we're moving north. All signs point north, a little to the right, kind of like my golf shot. In Jesus' name. Amen. We'll see you next Sunday, church. It's going to be a great day. If you want to take somebody out to lunch, it would be a good opportunity for you to start that practice of sharing your good news with somebody. We'll see you then. Love you.